electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, only the biggest and most important debate in the market right now. Whether a correction or liftoff is coming for stocks and how best to position your money for either scenario. We discuss with the investment committee today. Joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of RAS Asset Management. Jim Labenthal is with us along with John Najarian and Rob Seachin, co-founder and managing partner of the New Edge Capital Group. Good to see everybody. Let's check where stocks are right now. Dow is on pace to break its four-week winning streak. It's really the same story today for the S&P, even though you are looking at gains across the board today in the 10-year note yield currently sitting at 156. Kerry Firestone, I really do believe this is the most important conversation right now. Are we heading for a correction? Is it time to be cautious? Is it time to be bullish? I look at the moves that you're making in the market today and says you're not worried at all because you bought more Peloton which surprises me. You bought more Netflix, which I don't know if it surprises me as much. But nonetheless, both are interesting moves. And to me, make a bigger statement about where you see the market going. Am I wrong? You're both right and wrong. You're right because the market (laughs) has had incredible resilience. Well, Scott, you are always right. But in this case, a little bit wrong. So we think that you have to be discerning. The market is rewarding those stocks that show that they're beating expectations, that their earnings not just match whatever had been the guidance, but they take it higher. And in the case of, for example, Blackstone, they beat and they raised more or less. The market was very excited. That stock is performing really well. In the case of Netflix, they beat the number, but the guidance wasn't as good. In the case of Peloton, there was an accident. The stock had been doing very well. They had an event. In both of those cases, we believe there are specific reasons that those stocks are very attractive for us, for us to buy at this time. And they both come down. Both have been great COVID performers. We went through this long period of reopening enthusiasm. You know, the market has priced up those reopening stocks to a level that perhaps they can't carry the market, even if GDP growth is six and a half or seven percent. We're looking for opportunities in names that we think will exceed the expectations going out a couple of years. And in both cases, the market has punished Netflix and Peloton. We think looking out two or three years, you're selling at multiples that are not very dramatic, not too extensive, and we think they're very attractive at the prices today. Okay, but let's be clear. If the market does, carry, have a substantial pullback like some are calling for or a correction of any magnitude, those stocks are probably going to go down with, with the market. Don't you think so? So by buying yeah. more of those yeah. today, so you're essentially saying that you don't believe the hype about a correction. 
Yeah, I, I think that there is a, a lot of talk about a correction that is not necessarily well-founded. You have to be you have to always be cautious. You have to be skeptical. If we look at a chart that Vinnie pulled together for me of all the times in the last 42 years when the S&P was up 10% or more for the first 110 days of the year, you can see that there are eight cases. The average gain for the year was over 20%. There are five cases where it's more than 20%, big numbers. And in no case did the market go down in a year that started out so strong. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. Let's not be like Pollyanna and say it's always going to be great. But that's a pretty strong indicator that starting off a year this strong with GDP growth as expected should result in a decent year at the very least and not some kind of you know massive correction. Of course there'll be a correction this year. There are always corrections. You have to prepare. That's why we sold a little bit of some of our best performing names. We've talked about like Twilio or PayPal. Or you sell some of the winners like Zuetas, but you have to keep putting the market back where you think that it's most attractively priced and where you have the opportunities. So no, we do not think that the market is going to have a major correction this year. Okay. Um, I'm glad. I'm still waiting for you to tell me where I was wrong, but we can get to that later, maybe before the end of the show. <laughs> Jim Laventhal, you, you, were very you sold. I bought those uh, stocks. Because, because, <laughs> Well, because that's like, you know, what I what I was thinking that you were saying. All right. Jim Labenthal, you sold. OK, you sold Verizon, but it's actually a bullish move, you suggest, because it's a defensive name. And you're about as bullish as I can remember you ever being. I'm as bullish as I can remember me ever being, Scott. Um, you know, I'm sure some snarky person is going to say, OK, that's a contrary indicator. But let's just let's just think about this. Let's dissect the correction question for a second. You've already had corrections in multiple sectors, right? Large cap tech, you know, whether it's Apple, whether it's Qualcomm, Amazon, they've been off more than 10 percent from their recent highs. They're coming back now. You can look at the financials. A lot of those Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, they went down 10 percent. They're climbing back now. Uh, energy names. Look at Chevron Texaco. Look at Marathon Petroleum. Those names went down 10 percent and now they're climbing back. The point being is we've had the correction. What happened was the sectors were out of sync with each other when they were correcting. So it didn't show up in the overall market. But we've had it and I'm not worried about it. You've got a supportive Fed. You've got fiscal stimulus that's in the pipeline and coming. Yes, I'm worried about taxes, but it's many, many months before we're going to know what the tax regime is actually going to be. So in that context of being bullish, I sold Verizon. Take a look at a five-year chart. The stock's up like 12, 15 percent. I know that if I ever get cautious, I can go back to Verizon and get the dividend. But I want to be in Viacom, which I started buying the first week after the Archegos meltdown. And I've been adding to it, so I'm adding more to that today. And I want to be in Kinder Morgan. Um, these are both names that are going to grow. Kinder Morgan, as the economy continues to expand, jet fuel, gasoline, diesel is demanded and needs to flow from refineries to end users. Uh, that's, that's a company that now is operating or projecting cash flows better than they were projecting going into 2020, going into 2020. So these are companies that are growing. They're going to do well. Their share prices are going to go up much more than Verizon. And you are correct, Scott. I am as bullish as I can ever remember myself being. Wow. John Najarian, um, I'm wondering what you make of that, considering that you've been more cautious than most. I think it's fair to say on mm -hmm. the desk. 
in the last, let's say, four weeks or so. I'm also looking at Bitcoin and the big reversal there and wondering how you're viewing that and what you think that says about overall sentiment about where the market's going next. You can address both of those for me. Are Kerry and, and Jim's sure. bullishness misguided? No, they're not. Uh, in fact, uh, the data today, Scott, was extremely solid. I mean, you had new home sales surging. You had market PMI at record levels. You had European vaccinations getting back on track and moving to the north. You have UK retail sales. So in other words, Great Britain doing much better on the retail sales numbers than was expected. PMI data at record levels also in Europe. So those are all the real huge positives, Scott. Um, obviously, the market reacted yesterday to uh, the president's uh, tax proposal, which is not a bill. It has not been signed into law. And we don't know whether or not it would be retroactive or not. So all those uh, we don't even things, know. We don't even uh, know the details. Right. We don't even know the details. The market reacted to we, we right. say a proposal, call it a report. Better call it a leak because that's that's what it was. We don't even have any details. So the market seems to maybe have overreacted, at least initially, based on what you're watching today. But, you know, pardon me for interrupting you, John. Yep. Um, but you're right. No, nope. you're, you're uh, exactly continue. right, Judge. You're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, so, uh, you know, again, without knowing any of those things, the exactness of the, the change in capital gains tax, whether or not Joe Manchin would go along with it, because if he doesn't in the Senate, it's dead. Um, so looking at all those different things, um, I thought it was an overreaction in the market yesterday. Um, I th think that there are some, quietly, uh, some people who would uh, maybe not cheerlead it, Scott, but would certainly be big beneficiaries of such a move. And they would be exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange, ICE, like the NASDAQ, like even Coinbase, um, and why would that be? Because if there's no incentive to hold stocks for the long term for the people that own close to 84 percent, um, as measured by some, that's the uh, that that top percentage ownership of the stock market by the exact group that would be taxed. If you have that going on, Scott, then I think uh, they would certainly churn a lot more, trade a lot more or at least um, trade some of the derivatives, which is great for me. It's great for the Chicago Board Option Exchange and the CME, um, and of course, all the brokers. So I'm not saying they'd be out in front waving flags and saying, let's go for this increase in capital gains tax, but I'm just looking ahead saying, if something like this passed, Scott, you gotta look through to who would benefit, um, and certainly all those entities that I named would benefit. Now, back to your question about Bitcoin, yeah. There's a lot of long-term holders in this one that really got spooked when they uh, when this report, as you say, uh, not uh, a statement from the president, but rather a report of what he's allegedly thinking about doing. Um, when that got out there, yeah, Bitcoin broke through several levels, broke through uh, that 52,000 stronghold, we thought, broke 50,000 and traded down into the 47,000 range. I bought on this dip. Um, I am still a true believer that we go significantly higher in that cryptocurrency and a host of others. But I think uh, prudent folks would know you don't go all in at any level. Instead, you just take little nibbles here and there. And I added to my holdings in 
digital assets on this significant pullback. Mm, interesting to hear that you were a buyer. Okay, Rob Seachin, that brings me to you. Here it is Friday in a week in which we've heard from a lot of top strategists and fund managers growing more bullish. Rick Reeder was on the program this week. I know you follow his research and think very highly of him. Even though he remains positive in the long term, he thinks things have gotten a little frothy. Scott Minard was talking about some choppiness coming to the equity market and a pullback, which would lead to some assets heading into the bond market. So that's two guys, Tony Dwyer talking about a 10% pullback. But then there's Tom Lee, who was with us yesterday and told us the following. Let's listen and we can react on the other side to Fundstrat's Tom Lee. It looks like U.S. COVID cases might be legging down in a big way because we're hitting that 40% vaccine penetration which, is, which coincide with Israel seeing a huge leg down in cases. And I think it started two days ago in the U.S. That means that June reopening, the visibility on the U.S. sort of coming out of this is much stronger. And I think stocks are going to now have another leg up. Uh, so I think the rolling correction is sort of running its course. And, and yeah, I think easily 4,200 in the S&P, but maybe as much as 4,400 uh, by June. Okay, Rob Seachin. So this sort of matches what Jim Labenthal is talking about. So in the face mm -hmm. of a lot of caution out there, there's Tom Lee. Who do you agree with? Right. I think I agree with both of them. I know that's cowardly. In, in, the more, in the longer term, I agree more with Tom Lee. But in the intermediate term, I wouldn't be surprised to see some more volatility. Um, you know, when you look at what's happened, the market was really hit with a one, two, three punch and then a threatened uppercut. Um, the market expected guidance over the last few weeks to be high, and I don't know that it matched all expectations from an earnings perspective. Uh, two va vaccination rates and increased mobility restrictions in certain countries, I think, scared markets. You saw that in India. You saw that in Brazil. And then I think that we just got too complacent. Markets probably moved too far too fast, and you saw that. Uh, in, in wildly low in complacence indicating VIX levels. And so to see some digestion as it related to that, specifically in some sectors, was, was, was a, little, uh, a little scary. But on the other side of it, you had this huge geopolitical uppercut threat, and I thought the markets, markets behaved uh, really rather well to that. So when you look at what is on the front dashboard from a risk perspective, you have interest rates, you have inflation, you have valuations, you have COVID variants, you have possible taxes. And I think the market has held in rather well. And so my suspicion is that profits are gonna come in so much stronger than people expect as we have this rolling reopening. And remember, Europe and the emerging markets are significantly behind us in reopening. And so that should that should lend some rocket fuel to what I already think is going to be a, a very strong recovery. The biggest threat out there, and I think if you look at the strength in, in, in China's currency relative to inflation and track it over time, China exported deflation to the world for a very long time. And right now with that strength, they're actually exporting inflation. So I think the one thing we have to watch, perhaps more importantly than anything else, is how deeply entrenched inflation expectations become. And does that lead to inflation? And does it have the derivative effects that we're all worried about? 
I think the okay, reopening so, over. So let me ask you this. Let me stop you. That. Let me stop you. Yeah. Let me stop you for a second. Let me stop you for a second, okay? Because that's an interesting point. And, <laughs> you know, our buddy Dubrovko Lakos over at JP Morgan has a new note out today in which he says, and I'm wondering what kind of risk factor you think this is, that simply the, the easy gains have been made, right? They're behind us now, and that yields are going to retrace higher. That's going to constrain equity multiples. And then the S&P, as a result of both of those things, is going to enter a period of consolidation. Does that make sense? And I also want to know if you're buying anything new, right? You have your new firm and you are able to talk about some stocks. Based on your view, are are you putting money to work in names or are you just waiting for some level of near term chop? So so we have bought some names which we've talked about on the show that are new to our portfolios. Amat, Lamb, Ford. We've talked about a lot of that in the last few weeks. We've added nothing. uh, We've added nothing new since I've been on the last time. I am hoping to see a little bit more volatility that I can take advantage of. But I share the bullish sentiment uh, that that Jim has. I want to make a comment on uh, what Dubrovko was saying. Um, You know, when you look at implied volatility of interest rates versus implied volatility of equities, Implied volatility of interest rates is very high, indicating to me that probably the worst is behind us. I certainly think we can grind higher uh, in interest rates, but that's going to be partly because of the economic strength we see. It's going to be for a very good reason and that, you know, you might have seen uh, you might see a major slowdown in pace of that move. So that's that's not not as threatening. I do think you get episodic scares as it relates to inflation. But with equities, I'd like to see a little more volatility in equities. I think we get it, um, but I am a huge buyer of any volatility we see. We are buying quality growth Mm -hmm. and we are buying cyclicals. I'm steering clear. We don't own Netflix anymore. We had Netflix on the reopening. We sold it. It looks like right now that was a a really good idea. Um, Obviously, we believe in cyclicals with our ownership of Lamb and AMAT. And, uh, you know, we we own a lot of stocks that we're going to be talking about on today's show. Okay, good stuff. Let's bring in our headliner today. He helps manage more than eight billion dollars in assets. Uh, Chris Toomey is with Morgan Stanley Private Wealth uh, back with us once again. It's good to see you again. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me again, Scott. Yeah, you've taken in all the commentary, I I hope. Uh, Cautious, bullish. Which one are you? Uh, you know, I probably fall more in the camp that Rob does. I think there are several risks that we're focused in on right now. We saw a rise in COVID cases, particularly in India. We saw uh, Canada start to taper, which could put pressure on rates. Uh, there's talk with regard to increased regulation out of Washington. We dealt with yesterday's proposal uh, of tax increases. So all of those things, I think, are things that the market has to digest. In addition, I think uh, there is some real concern with how strong the data is right now that we're reaching peak economic data. And I think when you start thinking about the reopening and start thinking about the global supply chain, I think there's going to be some concerns with regards to what that's going to mean for inflation. So I think there are some real risks in the market. In addition, I think if you look at it technically, there is a good majority of stocks within the S&P 500 that are trading above their 200 moving average. And so I think we're probably due for a correction, but I don't think that's something to be overly worried about, right? If you look at the market, 
from the credit crisis to now, we typically have about two or three corrections a year. They usually happen about every 60 days. And the average correction is about down 11%. So this is a healthy thing to happen in a bull market. I think the concern, though, is that the median pullback is a lot lower than 11%. And so if clients are and investors are uh, uh, too bearish and leave the market, they may miss an opportunity for that next leg up. So we're actually very confident with regards to the continuation of the V-shaped recovery, and we think that there is a strong bull case to be remain invested. PMI has come out today uh, up over 60, earnings per share up over 30%, GDP is up over 6%. So we see real good reasons to be optimistic about being an investor. I think what's also very optimistic right now is the breadth in the market. If you look at the S&P since September, it's up about 9%, but the average stock is actually up over twice that. So what we would be doing is moving from our our early stage, early cycle mentality to more of a mid-cycle mentality. We'd be increasing the quality of our portfolio. We'd be increasing the capitalization of our portfolio. And I think to your earlier point, I think a lot of the beta has probably been priced into the market, and we'd be really focusing in on uh, alpha opportunities. What does that mean, really, when when you talk about, let's say you want to be, and you're not the only one who who uses this word, when you talk about saying, okay, I want to be overweighted towards cyclicals, uh, but I want to have a better look at at quality, right? Some of the, not all cyclicals you're, you're talking about, some cyclical stocks have moved a lot further than others. There's still deemed to be relative values within the cyclical space. And when you use the word quality, what does that exactly mean as to where I, as an investor, if I'm watching this show, should be looking within the cyclical space? I think that's a great point. I think if you look at cyclicals, generally speaking, they've moved way ahead of kind of where the fundamentals are. I think with the exuberance around the reopening trade, and I think there are pockets within that market that are overextended. And I think we still don't know what it's going to look like when the economy gets back to normal. A lot of these things that we put in place to survive the COVID pandemic and the lockdown are going to start to reopen. And these businesses are going to have to look at whether or not they're sustainable. And so does it make sense to have certain key uh, players in different industries or some of these companies going to have to go away? Are we going to start to see a situation where some of these business models don't necessarily continue to work. And so for that reason, I'd be a lot more selective. I'd be looking more at balance sheet. I'd be looking at sustainability of earnings than necessarily just widely being invested in one sector or one area of the market. The other question I have for you is, you know, you like China and the emerging markets, but what I find interesting about the timing of that is that we've just looked at the Bank of America flow show data, and they say they've seen the biggest emerging market outflows this week since January. So sentiment seems to be offsides, perhaps, from where you're looking. Yeah, and I think that's the opportunity. I think if you look at China, they have pulled back. Um, They have pulled back uh, with regards to the stimulus within their economy. Uh, They have increased regulation, particularly within the technology sector, and that has been weighing on the market. So if you look at China, it's probably up about 3% for the year, and it's about 10%, uh, down 10% from its highs. 
And we think that that's actually a great buying opportunity. We still think the fundamentals in place are tremendous. And we think the government being prudent with regards to pulling back on the stimulus in case there is a second wave of COVID, in case there's a need with regards to stimulating the economy. So we think that this is actually a great buying opportunity. Okay, Carrie, you have a question for Chris? Yeah, uh, I do, Chris. If, if you look at what happened in the market last year, the market was up 18%, and it was mostly on the back of a small number of stocks, you know, 36, 7% of all stocks in the S&P beat the S&P last year. If you look at what's happened this year, it's the vast majority of names are ahead of the S&P. And up until a few days ago, 95% of stocks were, I think, above their 50-day and 200-day moving average. So extremely broad. Now, what I think you're saying, and, and perhaps you'll uh, give us a little more clarity, is that the reopening trade, the cyclicals have run ahead of themselves somewhat, and they might pull back, they may correct. But you can still have a market that can go higher, grind higher, I, I think is, is the term Jimmy used, where you don't have to have every participant. You could have the major growth stocks move higher because they're such large weights in the S&P. You can start to see, again, you know, the names that from the middle of March have been driving the market. That is more technology, and it's sort of the mega cap names that underperformed from September until the middle of March. I'm just wondering whether you think that's a possibility for the rest of 2021. Yeah, I think you put it very well. I think uh, there is a situation where we have probably moved a little bit farther than we should have and the market needs to digest this. But I think the underlying fundamentals are very strong. And I think they're particularly strong in certain areas. So, you know, yesterday was Earth Day and, um, you know, there's a focus with regards to ESG investing. I think this is a theme that people aren't spending as much time focusing in on, but you're actually seeing a real strong uh, dramatic impact on the market. So right now, there's about $40 trillion of assets that are ESG related. That's a growth rate of over 35%. And Bloomberg right now is predicting that over a third of global assets will be ESG by 2025. There's nearly 150 new fund launches that are focused in on ESG. And the largest ETF launch in the last 30 years was ESG focused. And if you look at performance specifically in the ESG space, what we're finding through different studies that we've done is that they perform better, not only in negative markets, but also in positive markets. So I think in certain areas and certain themes within this market, you'll see some really significant outperformance going forward. Hey, Chris, you have yourself a good weekend. Appreciate the conversation as always. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Scott. Take care. All right. That's Chris Toomey joining us today. Uh, Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. Coming up, boy, there's a lot to talk about still. We've got to talk about Intel taking that hit post-earnings. You've got a big look ahead to next week and those huge tech earnings, which we were just talking about. We'll try and get you ahead of those reports with what you should do with some of those big stocks like Apple and Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. 
I'm Courtney Reagan, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Caitlyn Jenner says she has filed to run for governor of California. This in anticipation of a possible recall election for current governor Gavin Newsom. Jenner is a 71-year-old Republican transgender rights activist who describes herself as economically conservative and socially progressive. CDC Chief Rochelle Rolinsky says recent declines in new U.S. cases of COVID are, quote, a hopeful trend, but she is concerned that parts of the country where vaccination rates are low could allow new spikes in infections. French authorities have started a terrorism investigation into the fatal stabbing of a police official inside her police station. It happened this morning just outside of Paris. Police say the alleged attacker was shot and killed by other officers. And Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny says he'll end his hunger strike that has gone on for 24 days. This after finally receiving treatment from doctors not affiliated with his prison. Navalny also acknowledged protests for his release that have been going on across Russia. Scott, back over to you. All right, Court, appreciate it very much. Thank you, Courtney Reagan. Intel shares, they're dropping on the back of its quarterly earnings report, a slump in data center sales, overshadowing a quarterly beat. Let's bring in Jenny Harrington. She's the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. As you know from watching the show, she owns the stock. She has defended it on multiple occasions. And Jenny, is that what you're going to do yet again today? You bet I am. In fact, we added to our position this morning. Tell me why. So... As we all know only too well, the share price often doesn't reflect the quality of the earnings report. And this is a great earnings report. It's delivered exactly what we expected it to. When Terry was talking at the top of the show about how there's a lot of focus on guidance this, this quarter, that's true. And so maybe the guidance wasn't quite as hot as some of maybe the fast money hands that might be in it and are selling it off today would have wanted. But for those of us who are long-term investors who plan to hold this with a long-term time horizon, who expect to hold it for several years, the quarter was great. We heard that the production issues are mostly behind them. There's a huge pipeline of new products. Seven NAND starts development this year. There's huge demand for PCs. We're not going to be any longer in a one PC per home house, one PC per home world. Um, the new CEO is terrific. He's re-energizing the company. So there's just a lot of positives out there. And when we looked at it, it all came together and we said, you know what, this is exactly what we want to own. And do we think that Right now, this trade's kind of guiding for flattish earnings for the next few years collectively. Some, some analysts are really positive. Some are less so. Collectively, it nets out to be flat. We've seen them be overly conservative on average. And so what we expect is over the next few years, we expect earnings to be in the high single digits, maybe up to 10% growth. That works well, plus a 2.5% mm-hmm. dividend. You know, 13 times earnings gives us a decent mode of safety for whatever, you know, choppiness the market sends our way. And um, and it's just what we want to own. So we added to it. It reminds me, too, that well, what, it's not What do you say to those? Yeah. Yeah. No, what do you say to those who, who, who suggest, look, the, the bulls, they make this story sound better than it truly is, that the honeymoon period for Gelsinger is over. You got the initial pop on on his name. Right. And now the real work has to, to happen. But the real work's going to be tougher because Lisa Sue and AMD have just absolutely eaten Intel's lunch. And when it comes to stock ownership, AMD's a better play, NVIDIA's a better play, NXP's a better play, and Intel's just out of favor. And everything you say may be true, but it's just going to take so long for that to happen. Why bother? How do, how do you counter that? 
Yeah. So this is where you go back to there's different kinds of stocks for different kinds of investors. This is not a two-bagger. This is not good cocktail party fodder. You're not going to get bragging rights. But what you might do is you might get a really consistent return over the next several years. And, you know, I'll, I'll argue all day long on that there's not room for NVIDIA, Intel, AMD. There's room for all of them. If there weren't, Intel wouldn't earn $20 billion a year and also generate, I think it's about $18 billion a year of free cash flow. There's room for all of them. By the way, those numbers are far in excess of NVIDIA and AMD. They just happen to have higher growth rates. So it depends on what kind of stock you want to own, what you're comfortable with, and what the valuation what valuation it has compared to what you, you know, what the story is and what works for your portfolio. For our portfolio, we want slow and steady, long-term growth, and we think we're going to get it here. But it's not. I don't think it's a great. Right. I really appreciate. Understood. I appreciate you calling in and discussing it. I always like the conversation. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week, I'm sure. That's Jenny Harrington. Jim Labenthal, wrap this up for me. I mean, you used to defend it as fiercely as Jenny until you sold it. Yeah. And, it, and I'm living a much happier life now. I, there's no other way to describe it. Look, Jenny, Jenny and I share the same investment philosophy, and I'm not taking shots at Jenny. It's the same philosophy as mine. But this stock is too hard, and it's too hard for the reasons that you listed, Scott, which is that while they're getting through these operational issues, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but while they're doing that, AMD and NVIDIA are just eating their lunch. It's too hard. There are too many other good semiconductor stocks to be in that you don't have to come on the show every quarter and, you know, defend a, a down day. Um, so I love Jenny. She's a dear friend, and I, I wish I could get her to get out of this stock. Uh, it doesn't sound like she's going to do that. Jim, thanks. We are, as I said earlier, bracing for the busiest week of earnings season yet. Perhaps the most important, too. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, Microsoft, all on deck, which means our experts are going to get you ready with their trades ahead of those numbers. And a reminder, you can always watch and listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's do it. Dr. J, what do you got for us today? Biggest retailer on earth, Scott. Uh, I've got Walmart. Uh, the 14th of May, they are buying options 
at that expiration, 14th of May, 141 is the strike price they're buying. That's still $10 under the November highs that Walmart put in, Scott. Uh, I'll probably be in these trades uh, about two weeks, maybe three. Love the upside for Walmart. And I think a lot of money is going to be spent there from these checks. Second trade, PAGS. This is a $14 billion fintech out of uh, Brazil. And I think that this one, Scott, January of next year, they're buying the uh, 4750 calls with the stock at about 45 and a half. Love the upside. You're basically getting it pre-vaccine levels. And I think it goes right back to work after uh, Brazil gets through this tough period. And I think that's the reason to own this one for the long term, Scott. So I'm in both trades and I continue to hold both. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Ask Halftime's coming up next. You can send your questions by video as well. We will play them on the air if you do that. So please do. You can email us. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. We are back after this. Okay, let's answer your questions now. First up, Carrie is for you from Yash in Boonton, New Jersey, American Express. What do you think about it now, Carrie? Is it a buy? Yeah, we think it's a buy. This is a company that benefits from consumers traveling on vacations. It'll be business travel soon, higher interest rates. The market was expecting somewhat better numbers than they got it toward. We still like the stock here, and it's a discount to the market. Okay, Jimmy Labenthal, Cleveland Cliffs. That's what John wants to know about in Connecticut. What do you tell him? Yeah, hey, John, they reported earnings yesterday. Excellent earnings. I had the opportunity to talk to the CEO, Lorenzo Goncalves. Uh, this is a fellow who should be on every investor's uh, tongue. I think they're going to write a Harvard business case study about this eventually. He cares about the environment. He cares about his employees. Most importantly, he cares about generating cash flow. Uh, he raised guidance for the second time this year. They're going to end the year with their leverage ratio at 1.0, and then they're going to go even lower. The point being is that us as shareholders are going to benefit from more and more of the earnings stream. I previously said I might sell this in the 25 range. Nope. I'm going to hang on to it. We're going to be talking about this for the next year. I'm going to be talking about Cleveland Cliffs going above 25. All right. Stock's pushing a 2% gain on the day, a little bit above that right now, rising as you were talking about it. All right. John Najarian, Doug in Troy, New York. Good question for you. He's looking for a point to trim some shares of Snap, okay? Says he bought all of his stock at 1356 about a year ago. And he's looking to take some profits now. What, what do, you, do you have an idea in your head, John, as to what a, a good price would be to take some profits? Well, um, Scott, with you, I, I think three, two or three weeks ago, we were buying the stock because of unusual activity when it was 52. It ran into the 60s, Scott, and then pulled back and ran again into the 60s after that great report last night. Um, but it has been selling off virtually throughout the day. Take out the first half hour of trade, and it's straight down to about this 57.50 level. So um, my position is all gone now, um, but obviously this investor is a lot smarter than me because I didn't own it from 13 all the way up into the 60s, so kudos to you. I think right around the 56 level is where it finds major support. I love it going forward. I'm going to probably re-enter myself right around between 56 and 57 and a half as far as I'll set myself up with a call spread there, Scott. But uh, that's a heck of a nice trade by this investor. 
Yeah. All right. Well, maybe don't take any profits. Then it sounds like what you you might be yeah. saying. But I appreciate yeah. that. I just uh, write yeah. calls into it. We'll see. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Good advice. And lastly, from uh, it's for Rob. Uh, this one's for you from Margaret in Tucson. Says uh, she wants to maintain a limited presence in financials in her Roth IRA. What do you recommend, J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley or both? Well, I, you know, Scott, I like both, but we only own one and we own J.P. Morgan. It's the best diversified revenue stream in the banking sector. Does have some difficult comps going forward. But with interest rates rising uh, and enhanced profitability from that and lower credit costs, um, you know, I would say that plus fees equals J.P. Morgan in, in a Roth IRA. OK, we will take a break. Financials having a good day, by the way. You saw JPM up 2 percent there. We'll do final trades next. Let's do final trades, everybody. Carrie, why don't you start us off today? Uh, Wabtec, they make freight trains and transit cars, both depressed during COVID. Infrastructure bill will help and railroad loadings are already picking up. OK, thank you for that. Rob Seachin. Uh, INFL, the Horizon Kinetics Inflation Beneficiaries ETF, big beneficiary of the re- reopening trade with strong PPI, CPI, lumber, base metals, etc. Great, okay. great thing to buy. All right. Jim Labenthal. I'm going to keep it simple and consistent. Apple into earnings. Okay. <laughs> All right. Quickly, John, what do you got? Another uh, Brazilian stock, PBR, Petrobras, Scott, bought it during the show. All right. Good weekend, everybody. Thank you. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.